Monday. The episodes drop the last Monday. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. It's a man, it's a man, forgot that. Hey there, welcome to the Matt Forgot That Podcast, the place to recollect and reminisce. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to rewatch and review a movie or TV pilot that I've seen before, but don't quite remember. It could be a blockbuster, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Before we start, when I was in elementary school, I think around 4th or 5th grade, a spot opened up on my friend's bowling team and they asked me to join. It was on Saturday mornings, you bowl three games against another team, and the one that compiles the most points wins. Simple enough. Turns out, I was a pretty good little bowler. Almost from the beginning, I was in the mix for best average, high game, and best series. I took to it, and from there I continued to bowl, joining the school team in junior high and continuing through high school. From ninth grade on, I would say I was one of the best bowlers in the county, not to brag, and certainly, if not the most consistent. I was never one of those guys that had big games. I mean, once I bowled a 279, but for the most part, I was always between 220 and 250. Rarely would I roll a bomb, but even more rarely would I get like 7 or 8 strikes in a row and going for a 300. That just wasn't me. Now, there was a thought, momentarily, of becoming a professional bowler. I probably could have made a good amount of coin if I went on tour, even if I placed last. But I would be like the happy Gilmore of bowling, not from a cursing standpoint and certainly not from a violent one, but I tend to rub people the wrong way, and I'm fine with that. When I was bowling in high school, the WWF Attitude Era was in full blast, and D-Generation X was extremely popular. So every time I would get a strike, I'd cross my hands in the air and put them in an X formation. Now I wouldn't bring them down and do the crotch chop, which Shawn Michaels and Triple H made famous, because that I felt was over the line. A foul, if you will. But just doing that X in the air and slapping my teammates 10 was enough to tick off a couple other schools. I also didn't like wearing the school bowling shirt. Yeah, that was a thing. Because when I normally bowled, I wore layers. Remember, this was the 90s, so I would always wear flannels over a t-shirt. And I got used to bowling that way. So in the beginning of one season, I was in a bit of a funk. So I'm like, give me the flannel. I need to look like Eddie Vedder. Come on. But from then on, I started to bowl better. Now, I'm sure I was violating some league rule, but no one ever said anything. But ultimately, I don't think I could have taken myself seriously as a professional bowler. I mean, have you seen them? Take that clip with Pete Weber. After he bowled a strike to secure a championship, he shouted, Who do you think you are? I am! Like, what? Seriously? Man, it's bowling. Now on to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It, two stars Watch at Your Own Risk, three stars Standard Fair, four stars Worth Checking Out, and five stars Must See. 
Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. In this episode of the podcast, I'm rewatching and reviewing The Big Lebowski from 1998. It was directed by Joel Cohen, who helmed Raising Arizona, The Hudsucker Proxy, and Fargo. The screenplay was written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, who scribed Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, No Country for Old Men, and Burn After Reading. The brothers have won four Academy Awards for Best Writing, Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen for Fargo, and Best Writing, Adapted Screenplay, Best Achievement in Directing, and Best Motion Picture for No Country for Old Men. The movie stars Jeff Bridges as Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, born into an acting family with father Lloyd and brother Bo. After graduating from high school, he served in the United States Coast Guard Reserve before moving to New York City where he studied acting. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for The Last Picture Show, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, The Contender, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for Starman, True Grit, Hell or High Water, and won the Best Actor in a Leading Role for Crazy Heart. John Goodman portrays Walter Sobachek. He is a frequent collaborator with the Coen brothers, having acted in five of their movies. He's best well known for his role as Dan Connor for 10 seasons, 231 episodes in Roseanne, and 4 seasons, 71 episodes in The Connors. He was nominated for 11 Primetime Emmy Awards for Roseanne, Kingfish, A Story of Huey P. Long, A Streetcar Named Desire, and You Don't Know Jack, and won one for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama Series for Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Steve Buscemi plays Donnie Carabazzo. Born in Brooklyn, but moved out to Valley Stream, Long Island when he was 10 years old. In high school, he was part of the drama department and studied at the Lee Strasberg Institute in New York. He starred in the highly successful Boardwalk Empire for five seasons, 56 episodes. He's been nominated for eight primetime Emmys, winning one for Outstanding Short Form Variety Series, Park Bench with Steve Buscemi. He's also in one of my favorite bad movies, Airheads. Anyone else? No? All right. This is what I remember. There was bowling. Lots of scenes in bowling alleys. And I distinctly remember that there was a ferret and a bathtub, though I have no idea what the context was. Not sure I want to. Now I'm heading off to watch the movie. This is what I forgot. The movie starts in the city of Los Angeles during the early 90s. Jeffrey Lebowski, a.k.a. The Dude, walks through Ralph's supermarket in a robe. He's an unemployed pacifist who passes the time smoking weed and league bowling. He arrives at his apartment complex and once inside, is greeted by two thugs who are looking for money. His wife, Bunny Lebowski, is in debt to Jackie Treehorn, which means he owes money to Jackie Treehorn but they soon realize that the person they're looking for is supposed to be a millionaire and leave, but not before peeing on his rug. The dude heads to the bowling alley where he meets up with his pals Walter, a Vietnam vet who's a stickler for the rules with a happy trigger finger, and Donnie, a dim-witted and easily dismissed surfer. He relays the story of the break-in and mistaken identity. The dude wants to find the other Jeffrey Lebowski, the millionaire Jeffrey Lebowski, and have him compensated for the damage done to his dinky apartment. The dude visits his namesake. He waits in the study and sees the awards, honorary degrees, and the key to the city of Pasadena before Jeffrey Lebowski arrives. 
He asks for compensation, but the millionaire believes he's only looking for a handout, and dismisses him. As he leaves the mansion, the dude has a brief encounter with trophy wife Bunny Lebowski before taking a rug. A couple of days later, he receives a phone call from Brandt, Lebowski's assistant, who would like his help and will send around a limo. He returns to the mansion and Jeffrey Lebowski tells the dude that his wife, Bunny, has been kidnapped, and he's received a ransom note for $1 million. He would like the dude to act as a courier, and will pay him 20 grand, as he believes the culprits to be the same ones that caused the damage to the apartment, and the dude is the only one who can confirm that suspicion. Here's a quote without context. That rug really tied the room together. The Big Lebowski is a typical Coen Brothers movie. Solid filmmaking, quirky characters, but it doesn't always hit with me. Like, the characters had a habit of repeating dialogue to each other, and at some point it's like, alright, I get it, let's move on. And there's a quasi-dream sequence that happens after the dude gets knocked out that's completely unnecessary. Could have cut five minutes out of the film. The Coen brothers create movies that I really want to like, but they end up falling into the same category as like Charlie Kaufman and Paul Thomas Anderson, which is good company to keep, but I just don't get it. I think the Coen brothers are a little more tangible. They don't forget that the first goal of filmmaking is to entertain. The films are funnier, and there's always a laugh out loud moment. The ashes. That's all I'll say. But ultimately, I think it's just a little too quirky for me. A little too esoteric. Like, I enjoyed the film, and I wanted to love it, but I just like it. That's not to take away from the filmmaking. It's beautifully shot and directed. It's got a great supporting cast. It has Julianne Moore, who plays Maud Lebowski, the daughter of the millionaire. Daniel Huddleston plays Jeffrey the Big Lebowski, who is also Grandpa Arnold on The Wonder Years. Tara Reid plays the trophy wife, Bunny Lebowski. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Brandt, the assistant. Then there's John Totoro, Sam Elliott, and David Thewlis. The cinematography was captured by Roger Deakins, whose filmography includes Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, The Reader, True Grit, Skyfall, and won two Oscars for Best Achievement in Cinematography for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917. It was co-edited by Trisha Cook, who worked on The Man Who Wasn't There, The Notorious Betty Page in Solitary Man, and Roderick Janes, who's a pseudonym for the Coen brothers. The score was composed by Carter Burwell, who wrote the music for Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, The Blind Side, and was nominated for Best Achievement in Music Written for a Motion Picture, for Carol, and Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. The soundtrack featured songs by Bob Dylan, Booker T and the MGs, Gypsy Kings, Nina Simone, and Creedence Clearwater Revival. The musical archivist is T-Bone Burnett. The runtime is 1 hour 57 minutes. It had a budget of $15 million and grossed $47 million at the box office. I give it 3.5 out of 5 stars. Like, it is worth watching, but I can't fully endorse it. If you've seen The Big Lebowski and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattForgotThat. I'm going to end each podcast with clips that you might have forgotten. It could be movie trailers, music videos, commercials, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Forgot That Playback. Today I'm talking about Body Slam. The story revolves around M. Harry Smilak, a downtrodden music agent who inadvertently becomes involved in pro wrestling as manager for Quick Rick Roberts. 
It starred Dirk Benedict, who at the time was on the very popular series A-Team, John Astin, Gomez from The Addams Family, Tanya Roberts, who appeared on the final season of Charlie's Angels, and coming off a role as Bond girl Stacey Sutton in A View to a Kill. Billy Barty would go on to play Gwildor in another bomb, Masters of the Universe. Then there was Charles Nelson Riley, Tony Award winner, match game panelist, the absolute best part of this movie. The amount of mugging that he does for the camera is hilarious. He pulls out all the greatest hits. If he's in a scene, no matter who's talking, just watch his face. That glorious face. Wrestling in the 1980s was at its peak in popularity to that point, so if you're a fan from that era, you'll enjoy seeing Rowdy Roddy Piper, Captain Lou Albano, the Tonga Kid, the Samoans, and the Barbarian in featured roles. There are also cameo appearances by Ric Flair, Bruno Sammartino, and classy Freddie Blassie. It was helmed by stuntman-turned-director Hal Needham, whose filmography includes Smokey and the Bandit, Hooper, and The Cannonball Run. He partially inspired the character of Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's not a great movie, but it's a great bad movie. And, of course, it had its own theme song, which dripped 80s. I've posted a couple of clips in the Matt Forgot That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. That's all for this edition of Matt Forgot That. Thanks for listening to me reminisce. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed, or want to share your own trip down memory lane, use the hashtag MattForgotThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the rewatch and review. If you enjoyed this episode of the Matt Forgot That podcast, make sure to subscribe to the Matt Watch That podcast for all the reviews, rants, and randomness.